Welcome to Counsel the Word, a podcast of the Center for Biblical Counseling and Discipleship. I'm your host, Keith Palmer, and today we're going to be talking about ministering to people who are suffering. Suffering is all around us. The Bible teaches that we are broken people living in a broken world. And every day we experience multiple examples of this reality. Things like medical problems, relationship hurts, financial challenges, abuse, and trials of every kind. But the Bible also teaches that God cares greatly about suffering people. Through the gospel of Jesus, God is working to help people who are experiencing all forms of suffering. And God has established his church to be the primary means that God works in the lives of suffering people in this world. But just how does the church minister to suffering people? What does the Bible teach about how believers can minister to those who are hurting? Well, I'm grateful that my good friend and pastor, Terry Enns, is with me in the studio today as we think together about how to minister to suffering people. So, Terry, welcome back to the podcast. Thanks, Keith. It's always good to be up here with you and enjoying some time together around the Word. Absolutely. Well, we know, especially as pastors, that texts like Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17, and 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 to 3, teach that pastors and elders of the local church have a particular calling from God to care for His people in the local church. And we see that most particularly as a need in the context of suffering. So what can the leadership of the local church do to minister to suffering people? Yeah, there's there's obviously a lot of things we want to do. And and one of the big things we want to do, obviously, is, is point them to Christ. We want them to see Christ um, being behind their suffering. Uh, the suffering is not something that has happened to them that is outside the control and boundary of God. So God is still sovereign, even in the midst of their suffering, even the deepest kinds of suffering, uh, an illness, uh, an illness of a child, the death of a child, um, any, any other kind of illness, even, even behind sin, um, God is sovereign over those things, accomplishing his good purposes. So so we want to direct them to see the goodness of Christ, the, the graciousness of Christ, the supremacy of Christ, um, even and, and, and help them create a, a filter so that uh, they're seeing God in, in the midst of their suffering. Uh, so we're going to come alongside. We're going we're gonna to show up on the on the day that um, that that they're hurting, but perhaps something has been revealed an, an illness, a death. And we're going to show up, and um, and we're going to come alongside. We're going to we're going to be with them. I I think probably thirty years ago I, I learned the principle, and you're already smiling because you know where I'm going. I, I learned the, the 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 principle of of just be with someone. Um, we call it the ministry of presence. Um, I'm not coming to solve a problem. Um, I'm coming acknowledging I can't take away this hurt. I can't I can't fix the problem. But I am here to walk alongside you. And, and what I want you to know in this moment is that I'm going to walk alongside you and, and be with you um, so that, so that uh, you have a partner um, in, in this process. I, I think often of the, um, Paul's letters, and 58 times he uses the phrase one another in, in a variety of different ways, love one another, honor one another, um, be forgiving of one another, and so on. Part of loving one another is just walking alongside the process. So when I show up, I don't I don't want them to say, 
Um, he's here to take it, take away the, the burden. He's not here to take away the problem. I, I, I probably can't. Um, I want them to know that they have a partner that is, that is committed to the long haul of ministry with that person. Um, in, in some ways, I learned that when, when my oldest daughter uh, was two years old and uh, she, she had a balloon and, um, and the balloon popped when she was not in the room and my wife took the balloon and threw it in the trash can and she, she walked over that trash can. I'll never forget this. And she picked this little pink balloon out of the trash can and she held it up with, with tears in her eyes. And she just came to me and said, daddy thickets. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I said, I'm sorry, honey, I can't fix it. Well, th- there's a parable there for, for people who are suffering in our church. We can't fix it. Um, but I can pay, pull that two-year-old up on my lap, and I can comfort her, and and I can I can be with her, and and I can develop a plan for her for how we're gonna get another balloon. Well, in the same sense, we're gonna we're gonna come up with a plan to help point our people to to Christ and walking along with them in that in that process. And you think about our role to point them to Christ. Uh, you know, he Christ said, you know, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Yeah, and, and in right. a sense, we come along in his name as under shepherds and, and we are with our people, that ministry of presence. And and I think along with that, you think about the fact that Jesus is also with them as well as people uh, from their body. Um, So you think about a text like Hebrews chapter four, where we are told that we have a high priest Mm -hmm. that sympathizes with us and our weaknesses because he was tempted in all things as we are yet without sin. And so as we're being there as the body of Christ ministering to people, we're also pointing them to Jesus who actually is with them as well. Yeah. And uh, whether we can relate particularly to their trial or not, uh, we know that Jesus can as the, the man of sorrows, as the one who uh, was fully human as well as fully divine. And, and then, of course, that text goes on. We can encourage that person to go to his throne of grace yes. to receive mercy and grace to help. So we, yeah. we emulate Christ in terms of being there present with him, and then we also point people to Christ who is really truly with them as well and sympathizes with them in their suffering and in their weakness. Yeah, and you, you probably do this too. You know, when I show up in the hospital, um, and the, the first thing I do is I, I just embrace the person. <laughs> I just... Um, they want a hug. They want the touch. They they need they need the affirmation. There's someone with me, and so I, I want to do that with them. I, I'm going to embrace them. And as soon as we finish the embrace, virtually the first thing I will always do is say, "May I pray with you?" Mm-hmm. And they always say yes. Um, even even if I happen to be with an unbeliever, they always say yes. Even if I'm with my neighbor, and I've done this with with neighbors, and I've done it with extended family of church members who are not believers, always they say yes. And, and, and in, that po- in that moment, I'm doing the very thing. They may not have words. You've been in this situation where you're grieving, you're hurting. You don't have words um, to, to say to the Lord, you, you're still struggling. And so I want to come alongside this person that's struggling, maybe not even knowing how to pray yet. And I'm, I'm laying an initial foundation for how they want to pray. And so I just, I'm lifting up God. I'm, in my prayer, I'm being very intentional to point them to the sovereignty of God, the grace of God, the sufficiency of God, the kindness of God. Because right at the beginning, as they're first responding to this trial and burden, I want them to have in their minds uh, the greatness of God and the goodness of God. And so um, leading them to the throne of grace so that when they start praying again on their own, that they'll have those kinds of words hopefully resonating in their minds. Mm -hmm. 
And you brought up uh, an important uh, ministry, and that is pastoral visitation. Yeah. And it seems like in our day and age, that's sort of a dying art amongst pastors, yeah. and it's really tragic. Um, uh, that's one of the first things you taught me as, a, as an intern here in the church and, and as a rookie pastor. So maybe talk to the fellow brother pastors that are listening about both the importance of pastoral visitation in the hospital or in an environment like that, and then maybe some of the things that you're thinking about as you're yeah. going to that hospital call. Yeah, I think, I think part of it is just God, the way God has wired me uh, to think, and part of it, part of it is, is my ecclesiology, is I just understand the, the role and function of the church. Um, I was looking um, just by happenstance yesterday uh, at my schedule uh, for the last number of years, and I was just going week by week looking through my schedule, looking for some particular things, and and I was especially struck by how many things were in my schedule that were massive blocks of time where I was repeatedly going to see people. So particular people who are ill in our church body and I was seeing them on a repeated basis um, or just interacting with people, lunchtime visits and other counseling kinds of appointments and lots of hospital visitations. And it was a huge expenditure of time. It is, in all honesty, a significant part of my week virtually every week, and yet I have never regretted that. Um, that, that person um, needs, in, in, in a sense, the embodiment of Christ. Um, so, so Paul says to the Philippians, you know, we, we, we fill up the sufferings of Christ. Um, and this is, this is the same kind of thing going on. We are exemplifying. This is, this is what Christ's suffering looks like. This is how Christ ministers to those who are suffering. And, and, and people need to see that. That's, that's why they're in a body. They're in a body so that they can be shepherded. And I'm a, I'm a shepherd and I'm a pastor. And that's my role to come alongside. So Jesus gives the parable of the 100, 100 sheep. One's lost. He leaves the 99. They're safe in the pen. And he goes after that one and he finds that one and he brings it back. That, that's my role. Um, does it take time to spend with that one? Yes. I think of particular people in, in our flock. And I've spent... Um, this is not an exaggeration. I've spent hundreds of hours with some particular people in our flock. Why? Because over a series of years, they have been suffering and hurting and needy and dependent, and, and I'm their shepherd to walk alongside them with that. Um, so it's just a tremendous opportunity um, to build bonds of love and affection. I've been here by God's grace now for a really long time, and um and, and a good bit of that is just because the affection that I have for the people and that they have for me. And, and that only comes because we have married children, we've married family members, we've buried them, we've been at the hospital, we've, 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 done, every, we've done every aspect of life together. Uh, we've wept, we've laughed, we've cried tears of joy and tears of happiness, and, and that has knit our souls together. So there are going to be pastors who say, and I, in fact, heard another pastor say this somewhat recently, you know, essentially, if you want to see me come to my office, I just don't think that's good pastoral ministry. Pastoral ministry means I am going to be with the sheep and where they are and where they're hurting, that's, that's where I'm going to be. And, um, and I think one, one fruit you've seen of your conviction about that pastorally and as we have tried to equip the saints here in the church is that 
it's not like you're the only one caring for people. You know, yeah. we've tried to take that both as an example and as a, a thing that we teach yeah. from the elders down that, hey, this is an every member part of ministry. And, you know, one of the jokes in, in our staff here is right. that we have one particular lady in our church that has totally bought into this. Exactly. And the question is, who's going to get to the hospital sooner, you or her? Right? Uh, she will. She will. <laughs> <laughs> Inevitably, so, I don't know how many times I've, I've gotten to the hospital. That's and right. She, she's either already there or she's already been and left that's <laughs> before right. I've gotten there. And, so and so, what, a, yeah. what a ministry that that is. And, and, and it's not only her, but she's taken others alongside her. And I don't even know that it's been intentional on her part. It's just been the overflow of her natural discipleship. Um, she's just trained others to do the same kinds of things. So, so very often she and, and her friends and others will show up before you or I or any right. of the other elders are there. And, and, that, and that is the way the body of Christ should function. That's and, that one another that one another you were talking about, you yeah. know, that, that discipleship and 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 certainly hospital visits is not something exclusive to the pastor. Right. You know, he should take the lead and be the example, but we really want a body of people in their small groups and their Sunday school classes that are connected that say, Hey, I'm gonna care for this person yeah. as, as a, a living out of those one another passages. Yeah. In fact, I think recently, well, it's probably six or eight months ago now, I showed up to a surgery and I walked into the waiting room and the waiting room was inhabited by Grace Bible Church. I think there were ten <laughs> or eleven people already there when I showed up and it was they looked at me kind of like, Well, where have you been? <laughs> but but that I just I just smiled inwardly and thought, yeah. how magnificent that uh, the that the body has yeah. captured that. And it wasn't a life-threatening illness, but they just wanted to be there right. and 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 share life, pray with that person, mm-hmm. uh, love on that person, care for the one who, um, care for the spouse of the person that's in surgery. And um, and, and that's the way the body should function. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you maybe, have, uh, go ahead. I'll say maybe along those lines, um, you know, we as pastor elders are called, certainly not to do all the ministry, but to be primarily those who equip the believers in the local body to do the work of the ministry, thinking about uh, Ephesians 4, 11 and 12 uh, verse. Mm, right. So what are some ways that, that we as pastors and those that are listening, uh, what are ways that we can train our people to be equipped to minister to people that are suffering? You know, one of the things that, that I have tried to do um, is just take somebody with me. So when you were doing an internship here, I think that's one of the things that really knit our hearts together. We did a lot of ministry together uh, initially. And so whether it's taking another elder with me or a prospective elder or just another church member, um, even when my children were young, I would often take my children with me on hospital calls. And and you've done the same thing, I know. It's just good training for my children. And are they going to be exposed to hard things? Yeah, but, but this is part of life and I want them to learn from an early age about how to minister to others and how to serve others uh, and how to live life in helping others. So just very pragmatically take someone take someone with you uh, in that process um, of, of going to serve others. Um, preach about, preach about it, you know in, incorporate those kinds of things into your messages where you're helping um, to frame, for people, a, 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 an ecclesiology about how the church functions, so that from the pulpit down, they're hearing um, that this is this is the way um, the, the church body functions. Uh, we have p- particular training kinds of events, and we've done some of those kinds of things. Frankly, that's why we do a lot of biblical counseling and discipleship training events because we see counseling and discipleship as being in partnership together. They're they're aspects of the same thing. So. 
when we hold a counseling conference, uh, when we're doing counseling in the office and we're training people with us, it's we're just training training them to equip people, tra- equipping people to to handle life issues and how to help people who are suffering. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think too we can also help people by giving them a good theology of mm-hmm. suffering too. What's yeah. sometimes called a sufferology, and yeah. believe it or not, that is one of the doctrines, uh, one of the theological. Uh, subjects we see in Scripture, um, you think, for example, uh, the Book of Job in particular, yeah. um, where you learn so much about suffering. You learn about what to do and not do if you're the friend ministering right. Right. to those in suffering. So, what are some key elements of a sufferology that come to your mind as we think about training people to minister well uh, to I, others? I'd, I'd actually like to turn the question <laughs> because you you taught on. You, you did something almost no pastor does, and that is you, you taught, preached on Job for 40-something messages. It was a lot of messages. It was, it was a lot. Several years. Yes. Yeah. So, um, so you, you worked through that at a very deep and intense level. And I was thinking it would be helpful maybe to know what, what are some of the key principles. You know, we all know, okay, don't do this. We know, we know, right. we know what not to do. Um, come and sit and listen. But at some point, you do need to open your mouth. Yeah. At some point, you do need to say something. So maybe what are some things that you have learned in Job that would help us think about how to come alongside someone and help someone in a positive way? How how can we build into yeah. Yeah, someone sure, who's suffering? Sure. Man, um, several things come to mind. One of the first things I think about is the fact that uh, Job's uh, three friends did good ministry as they were doing the ministry of presence, right? They're outside of the city in the ash heap with Job. And the text says they were just with him. And the problems happened when they started giving counsel and started giving answers. And I, and I think that should, uh, one, one of the, uh, the principles we, we learn from that as an example, not as an overt intent of the book, but as an example is, um, we need to be really careful what we say and you remember, I think it's, um, I think it's Eliphaz early on in uh, the first round of the um, the friends talking to Job. Um, Job responds to Eliphaz, and my paraphrase of what Job says is basically, "That's easy for you to say because you're not in my situation." Mm-hmm. So we have to be so careful about what we say, even if we mean it well. If we are not in the position of the person, we we want to avoid saying things like, uh, you know, I know what it's like to be in that situation. You know, I can understand how that feels. Now, maybe you have, maybe you have been in that place of losing a child or going in for surgery. And, and, you know, that's appropriate to share sometimes, but we don't want to say um, careless things in the name of trying to help. So just, just being taken back in Job by um, sometimes just being with the person and keeping your mouth shut is the best thing you can do. Certainly there's a time to speak wise counsel, but I think that's helpful. Another thing that really strikes me about uh, the book of Job is um, the book of Job is a book of questions. Uh, the takeaway for me is that um, looking at all the questions that Job asks, the other characters in the book ask, I mean, there are hundreds of questions documented in the book of Job, and that's one of God's graces in suffering, and that is suffering causes us to ask questions that we ordinarily would not ask. And Job asks some really good questions in that book, like, um, how can a man be in the right before God? 
Mm-hmm. And he says that in the context of his sin and his suffering. What a great question. Mm-hmm. Uh, in chapter 3, as he's lamenting the day of his birth, Job says, my paraphrase, if my life was going to be this difficult, why didn't God kill me at birth? And there are, there are hundreds of people who feel like that. Yes. Why, am I, why does God keep me alive if my life was going to be this hard? And, and those questions connect with our experience in suffering as we ask very similar questions. And, and that's part of how God redeems suffering is he helps us to ask these really good questions that the Bible gives really good answers to. But when life is sort of normal and well, we don't usually think about those questions. Mm-hmm. Um, and then maybe one, one last thing would be uh, not to forget about Mrs. Job. Uh, you know, sometimes we, we beat up on her because yeah. in her grief and her despair, she says to her husband, just curse God and die. Yeah. And yet we forget that as someone who's going to be widowed in her mind, she thinks her husband's going to die. She's lost all of her livelihood, all the, um, the uh, what we would think of as her retirement, you know, the, um, the crops, the animals that were basically uh, their means of, of supporting themselves, she's going to lose all that. She's lost all her kids, so there's no children to take care of her. And in that day, she was probably looking at a life of prostitution or something along those lines. And so we think when we're ministering to hurting people, and Job sort of is in the spotlight, yeah. let's not forget about the family that's suffering with them. Let's not forget about children that are suffering with them or um, maybe... Um, others that are closely connected to the suffering, that, that all of those people involved need ministry, even though they may not be in the spotlight. Yeah, yeah. You know, when you say that, I actually um, go back in my Bible, actually and it is open in 1 Peter chapter 3, and I think about um, 1 Peter chapter 3 that, w- that we know of as, as, as the marriage section. Mm-hmm. Well, it's, it's tucked into a book that's all about suffering. So from chapter 1, almost verse 1, he's talking about those who have been scattered, who are abroad, and, and the whole book is about suffering beginning to end. And in the middle of the book is this book is, is a section on marriage. And you say, well, why in this book on suffering is he talking about marriage? Because marriage can be full of suffering. Because marriage can be full of suffering. And, and the admonition to the husbands, and most husbands should know this, he says, you husbands live with your wives in an understanding way. Um, I, I think generally people take that to mean, well, understand what she wants and her desires. And, you know, do you know what, what which wife's favorite color is or what kind of outfit looks good on her? Well, should a husband know those things? Well, yeah, I guess so. But I don't think that's what Peter's talking about. He's talking about suffering. And how does a woman most suffer? Well, in the context, in verses 1 to 6, she is suffering. A woman is often suffering under the hands of an ungodly man in her life. And particularly, Peter's telling her, you need to submit to her. You need to live with her in an understanding way. Mm-hmm. Understanding her position, she's called, if she's going to be obedient to Christ, she is called to submit to you, even though you're an, ungo- an ungodly influence in her life. And, and, and I think it's just helpful as we're ministering to women who are, we, we talk to a lot of women who are coming through the counseling ministry who um, are either single or single again or... Um, living in a context where their husband is not a believer and not not encouraging, not helping them. That's a very common story. And and we can help them by not just giving them pat answers, but understand the context in which they are suffering. And we might look at them and say, well, you know, they're not physically suffering in the way we typically think of it, but they really are in a difficult, precarious position, just like Job's wife was. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, definitely. 
Well, let's let's think now about um, the vulnerability of people in suffering. People that are suffering are typically in very vulnerable positions. They may be prone to respond in ways that would be ordinarily not a temptation. Mm-hmm. And, and so I think suffering tends to do that. Mm-hmm. There are many challenges um, for unhelpful or even sinful responses. So how can we care for people who are suffering to help them avoid responses that are ungodly or unhelpful in some way? You know, one of the things I've become particularly aware of, and and you and I were talking about this recently in a different context, but understanding um, my body is not the cause of my sin, but my body is the avenue in which the flesh manifests itself. And understanding that my physiological weaknesses may create a propensity for me to sin in particular areas. And that can be helpful for me particularly. So I've identified in my own life some areas where when when this scenario is going on physiologically, I am well aware that I'm going to be tempted in, in particular ways. And so I just prepare myself for battle on, on those mornings or those days, those evenings. Um, and, and, and we do well to look at people who are suffering and think in similar kinds of ways and then try and alleviate the physiological suffering so that they might not feel the pull of the flesh at that moment. Um, it could be something, something as simple as just making sure that they've got a meal. Uh, it could be, it could be um, when they have um, someone who's in the hospital and they've got all these bills coming in that, that we're going to come alongside and help them financially, or we're going to come alongside with one of our financial planners that's going to sit down with them and, and craft a plan. They may not, this may be the first time they've ever walked through a medical illness. They may not be aware of some of the things that are available to them through the medical community. And we've got a lot of people in our body who know those kinds of things, and we want to connect them together so that, so that they can alleviate those kinds of things so that they're, um, they're able to, um, navigate that and not, not be prone or tempted to, to anxiety, for instance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, sometimes just giving a physical meal, yeah. um, meeting physical needs yeah, and, and yeah. helping them with those things. Yeah. So we just, you know, <laughs> we affectionately refer to it as the GBC food train showing mm-hmm. up. Um, and, 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 and that's a, that's a blessing because now we've alleviated, um, some aspect of, of that person's suffering that, that is ena- enabling them to think to think well and to think clearly. Mm-hmm. One thing I see, and I know you see also, when people are suffering and some of the vulnerabilities is um, where is their mind dwelling? Yeah, you know, right. what, uh, I think that 2 Corinthians 10, 5 passage mm-hmm. that reminds us that spiritual warfare is really about taking our thoughts captive. And it's why the Bible tells us over and over to renew our minds, be careful what we think. Um, I think people that are suffering are prone to embrace lies and to think things that aren't true. And since those are yeah, the, the really the starting points for our emotions and our behavior uh, in suffering, it's very, very important that we help people to take their thoughts captive. Um, we think about a Philippians chapter 4, dealing with anxiety, to think on what is true. Mm-hmm. Uh, Romans 12, 2, to be renewing our minds. And um, I think that's one of the things we do in suffering people is to help them help uncover the script. You know, what is it that they're saying to themselves over and over? If we could hear 
what they're saying in their mind, so to speak, uh, and then helping them to take those thoughts captive, help them to renew those minds, their, their minds in the truth of God's word. Uh, and that really is where the spiritual battle lies many times in the midst of suffering. I mean, there may be body factors, like you're saying, and alleviating them as part of good ministry. And I think we couple that with helping them to, to do that battle, that spiritual battle in their minds. Um, and I think that's where, uh, like the Psalms in particular, illustrate what are some of the things we say to ourselves in suffering that are wrong and unhelpful, mm-hmm. but are sort of standard temptation. We see that in Job. I mean, mm-hmm. you get Job, who's this godly man, says and thinks these these amazing ungodly things and it's so um it's such an honest book but that it's like it shows us that's where the real spiritual battle lies and and oftentimes winning the battle in suffering is taking our thoughts captive and and preaching truth to ourselves when we feel like just embracing the lies of our emotions and feelings yeah yeah um you know i I think of psalm 42 Mm-hmm. Why, why are you in despair, O oh my soul? Mm-hmm. Why have you become disturbed within me? Hope in God. And they're, you know, paraphrasing Martin Lloyd-Jones in that famous saying, you know, we, we, we must take ourselves in hand. We must upbraid ourselves and correct ourselves, train ourselves, speak to ourselves. Um, and, and we want to come alongside someone and help them do that. Um, I, I will, you know, one of the things I'm doing when I'm first showing up and I'm praying with that person, the first thing I do, and this is probably a habit of mine in virtually every prayer, the first thing I say when I'm praying is, thank you, God. And and I'm doing that even when I'm showing up at the funeral home. I'm doing that when I'm showing up at the hospital um, unexpectedly. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm thanking God because I'm, I believe First Thess 5, 16, 18, rejoice always, pray without ceasing and everything, give thanks for this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. It's God's will that we rejoice, pray, and give thanks. And I, and I want to help that person to do that. Um, even, even this morning, I woke up very early and was um, just meditating on some things and thinking about some things and, and thinking back about Psalm 121. You asked earlier, what, what are you thinking about when you drive to the hospital? I'm thinking very often, um, and I've said this publicly, um, very often one of, the, one of the things I'm thinking about reading is Psalm 121. Um, I look to the heavens or I look to the mountains, from where will my help come? And, and, and we think that that's a, uh, a, um, a hopeful thing for the psalmist. I don't think that's what the psalmist is doing. Remember, he's, this is one of the ascent psalms. So this is the psalmist. He's leading this entourage of people. They're going to Jerusalem for worship, and they're headed into the mountains. And the mountains were not a safe place. The mountains were where the robbers and the thieves um, were holed up. And I think the psalmist is saying, I'm looking at the mountains, and I'm looking at trouble. And I look around me and I'm saying, where is my help going to come from? Where is my hope? Um, my hope is in God, the creator of heaven and earth. And even this morning, or early in the morning, I was reminding myself of that reality. Where, where's my help? And where, where am I going to look to? Where am I going to find my, my hope and sufficiency? And uh, we're wanting to put words um, in people's minds that draw them to see the hopefulness of the God who has created them, the creator and sustainer of the universe. Yeah, that's good. That's good. I think a couple of the themes that come to mind, we think about people and the vulnerabilities that they face in suffering are um, helping them to see God in the trial. Yeah. This is probably not the first thing you're going to do when you show up at the hospital, you know, but, but down the road yeah. as, as that ministry um, continues, helping them to see how God is redeeming the trial 
Yeah. Uh, we know First Peter 1, he's testing our faith to show us that it's real. James chapter 1, he's producing uh, a perseverance that leads to hope. Mm-hmm. Uh, we know in a Romans 8 lens that mm-hmm. he's working to conform us to the image of Christ through the all things of life. And again, probably not the first thing we're going to do. We don't show up saying, well, God's going to redeem this. But mm-hmm. you know, as that ministry builds and as that person works through the trial, helping them to see what God is doing through the trial is a big part of that. And and I think with that too, one of the things we've we've lamented as pastors, just an observation of watching how people respond is is often when suffering hits, one of the first things people do is they abandon the very things that God has appointed to be means of grace to them. Yeah. And uh, the two things that come to mind are their involvement in the local church. Yep. And that's why, you know, you you leave the 99 and you go after them because you know, there's legitimate suffering where a person can't, maybe can't attend worship or can't attend a small group anymore because they're in the hospital or they're, sure. you know, stuck in their home. But often people just say, hey, um, I just don't want to do that or I don't feel like I can do that. Um, and it's the first thing to go yes. when it's it's one of God's means of grace to be with the body of Christ, to be in corporate worship. And um, and then maybe the the personal side of that is they abandon their spiritual disciplines and they're not reading, they're not praying, they're not memorizing. Yes. And sometimes in suffering, those things can be challenging. Yeah. I remember, you probably remember the lady um, years ago that was uh, having back issues and she was stuck largely just laying on her back and her yes. back pain was so significant, she said she couldn't even read her Bible anymore. Yeah. And a lot of people would say, oh, well, I can't read my Bible. And yet that's that's life, right? That, that's right. man cannot live on bread alone, but in every word that proceeds right. out of the mouth of God. And I'll never forget what she said. She said, I started listening to the Bible. Yes, She started listening to the Bible on an MP3 Bible or online somewhere to feed her soul, You know, adapting her normal spiritual discipline because of her suffering, but recognizing that she needed that. And that was that was God's grace to her. Yes. So uh, we we, we want to help people to not abandon those means of grace uh, that they see, or that that God appoints for them in their suffering. Yeah, but, um, yeah and that's why when like you, you know, I show up at the hospital and um, I, I'm showing up Bible in hand or iPhone with Bible version on it, um, but I'm showing up with a Bible in hand and I have a passage in mind that I am planning to read to them. And sometimes it changes based on based on our conversation, but. But I want them to hear the word of God. I may not read, um, I may not read a very extended sec- section, but I, but I'm going to read very pointedly. And again, I want them to see the grace of God. I'm, I'm I'm wanting them to see the sufficiency of God, the capability of the Scriptures, because as you say, they they may not be reading. I'm, in all honesty, I'm probably going with the assumption that they aren't reading, uh, maybe by choice and and maybe by force, maybe some physiological issue like like our friend a number of years ago. Um, but, but I'm going with the assumption that they aren't, and so they need to hear it from me. So I'm going to, I'm going to be very intentional in, in what I'm reading so that they have a high view of God and scripture. Well, with that in mind, let, let's think about, um, what are some key texts that come to your mind if we're going to minister to a person in the hospital, or maybe somebody's mm-hmm. listening to this and they have a neighbor who has a medical illness, or maybe somebody in their small group, um, has just been served divorce papers that, uh, that they you know, a divorce they did not want, and so now they're suffering relationally, or maybe they've just gotten a phone call and their adult child has abandoned the Christianity that they heard mm-hmm. uh, in the home growing up. But what are some passages that come to your mind that that people could go to 
that will minister to others, uh, passages we maybe we could read to somebody that would be encouraging. Yeah, I've already alluded to a couple of them. Uh, Psalms 42 and 43 are, are very often go-to passages for me. Um, I, I love Psalm 121. I think of Psalm 63, 8. Uh, you, are, um, you are right hold hand, uh, uh, my soul clings to you, and your right hand upholds me. And so I, mm. I'm drawing this picture of I am, I'm holding on to God desperately, I'm clinging to him. I need him. I, I have no other refuge. I have no other place to go. Um, but as I do that, I look down and I see it's not me that's clinging to him that's sustaining me, but it is him that is holding me up and bearing me up. And so I want people to see that. And that, that psalm also is in a context of of, of difficulty and suffering. Um, often go to um, Psalm 27, Psalm 37. Um, often go to Romans chapter 8, that, that end section. Um, starting in verse 28, even through the end, the benediction in the last three or four verses there. Um, I'll do that. Um, I will sometimes use some of Paul's prayers. So you see his prayers, Ephesians 1, Colossians 1, Philippians 1 particularly. Those are great prayers um, to minister to the people. And then and then just, I've read them that passage. I've read them that prayer. Then, then just turn around and say, can I pray that for you? And mm-hmm. just pray through that prayer and personalize it to yeah. them. Um, and all those all those prayers not only hold up a high view of God, but but they also are, are helping to frame how that person ought to be thinking about his circumstance, particularly about this maturing process. Um, this is normal. Depending on the situation, I might pull something from First Peter. You know, depending on their receptivity, they may not be ready to hear how do they need to be thinking about suffering. But I might go to chapter four in First Peter and don't think anything unusual has happened to you. This is the norm. This is this is the life, and this is the world in which we live. But God is sufficient. God is capable. First um, Corinthians chapter twelve, Paul's suffering. Three times he prayed, um, and 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 God chose not to take it away. And then he says, "But my power is perfected in your weakness." That, that's what God says to Paul. My power is perfected in your weakness. How will I know the power of God except that I am weak? When I'm weak, when I'm st- struggling. And, and I want that person to hear that. So those are those are some that, that come to mind. Obviously, you just open the book of Psalms and almost anywhere there. Yeah. Um, some, in all honesty, I, I'm, I'm not a go-to guy on Psalm 23. And part of that is just because it's so familiar, it almost has lost its meaning. There, there is great comfort there, but I have found too often that it, it's a superficial kind of response. And I, I want something, I want to find something that they may not be as familiar with. It'll be fresh words to them. Mm-hmm. It will minister to them in new ways. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think that's good because you've just given two things that any Christian listening to this can do. Any Christian can say, can I pray for you? Yes. And often it's uncomfortable to pray out loud or to pray with somebody for a lot of Christians, but this is an occasion where you can take the person's hand and say, hey, can I pray for you? It doesn't have to be complicated. It doesn't have to be a theological treatise even. It just needs to be, you know, a prayer for God uh, to work in the person's life, and that they would hope in Him, and and then any Christian can also read the Bible to somebody, and uh, maybe this is a great time to um, you know pull up the the notepad on your phone and write down some of these passages. When I meet a hurting person, when I come in contact with somebody who's suffering, here's some Psalms I can read. Here's mm-hmm. some passages I can read, and uh, those are always two things any Christian can do. Right? We can read appropriate Scripture. We can pray, and I like your idea about even praying the passage back to God, sort of personalizing it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I would add to your list uh, Psalm 56, mm. how um, uh, God has taken 
our tears and put them in his bottle. They're, they're in his book. Uh, it says there, God is mindful of our suffering. And I love the chorus of that psalm. And this I know that God mm-hmm. is for me and God whose word I praise. Um, such good yeah. reminders. Uh, psalm 16, of course, um, I have set the Lord continually before me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Yes. Um, you think about um, particularly how the psalms talk about the Lord being near to the brokenhearted in Psalm 34. And he heals them. He heals the brokenhearted in Psalm 147. And uh, so again, the, the Bible is full of texts that connect with hurting yeah. people. And uh, one of the neat things the Psalms do is, is they connect with us in our suffering, but then they lead us to God exactly. and they lead us to think the things we ought to think and, and to focus on the things that we yes. should focus on. And yes. so they're, they are um, uh, examples for us. We can relate to them, but they're also, they're taking us somewhere. They're instructing us uh, subtly even. But, uh, but nonetheless, in a way that helps us. So. Yeah. so what are some resources that come to mind that might help people that are listening um, to better care for people yeah. that are suffering or experiencing difficulty? Yeah, one of, one of my favorites is uh, Thomas Watson. He's my favorite Puritan writer, as, he, as um, he is for many people. And my first introduction to Thomas Watson was his exposition of Romans 8.28. It's about 125 pages um, for a Puritan, it is exceedingly readable and tremendously helpful. It's called All Things for Good. And and he points to the difficulty of the trial, and he points to the goodness of the trial. And I remember reading that, and I, I remember thinking to myself, where has this guy been all my life? Well, he was, <laughs> he was on my bookshelf for a number of years. So I would point to that. Um, that's really, really helpful. A number of years ago, I came across a book by Brian Cosby called Suffering and Sovereignty, and it's his take on John Flavel. So he's taking um, some extended sections from John Flavel, another Puritan writer, and he's putting them in, in a more modern theological context. Um, found that book to be very helpful. Went with, through that book with a, a man who was coming out of some suffering and difficulty, and he found that to be tremendously helpful. Um, I've also found a number of uh, writings by Nancy Guthrie to be particularly helpful. She has a couple of compilations um, of of different authors dealing with the issue of suffering and death and, and have found uh, those to be largely very, very helpful. Yeah. And I'd add to that another Puritan, um, Thomas Boston's, uh, the crook in the lot. Yeah, great book. So good. Great yeah. Book. You think of Richard Sibbs, the bruised reed mm. and, um, and then more recently, um, uh, the letters of John Newton. Uh, yes. There's a couple of different volumes uh, Newton, we know him from his uh, his hymn writing, especially the the hymn "Amazing Grace." But he was also a a pastor who wrote, had a significant writing ministry, and his ability to shepherd people with his pen, uh, writing letters to people, and so those can be very valuable sources. Yeah, yeah, yeah I'd, I'd agree with all those. Well, this has been a great conversation, um, and I pray that uh, those that are listening uh, would be able to. Uh, take to heart what the scriptures say as we engage in, in hurting ministry to hurting people and helping minister the gospel of Christ to them. Good to have you on the podcast. It's good to be with you again. All right. Take care. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the podcast of the Center for Biblical Counseling and Discipleship. CBCD strives to be a blessing to pastors, local churches, and individual believers by providing discipleship and biblical counseling-related training and resources to help address the challenging problems of life. 
For more information, please visit the CBCD website at thecbcd.org.